Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. So everybody, welcome back to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. It's、uh, been a bit, we've had a bit of a break for a summer,、uh, so if we get off a little bit shaky, my apologies. But、uh, we've got a great guest in the studio today, so it should be really easy for us.、Um, I'm John Vallis, your host, and our guest today is Jennifer Shu,、uh, and she is the founder and CEO CEO of a company referred to gr- as Green Apple. Um, so Jennifer, thank you very much for coming on the show.、Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful day in Shanghai. We don't get too many of those these days. It's been a, been a rainy and cold summer. So yeah, sorry to have to you in、here. the studio. Great, thank you.、Um, before we get going,、uh, you know we've had a lot of guests on this show.、Um, a lot are primarily foreigners、uh, that are here, entrepreneurs doing startup businesses. You know the story.、Um, and what's so interesting about having you on as a guest today, and hopefully we can get into it. Is that you were actually born and raised in Shanghai? Is that right? Yes, I'm Shanghainese. Right.、Mm-hmm. So it's I always I'm always so excited to get that perspective because, like I said, we we interview a lot of foreigners and of course their their stories and experiences are are very interesting. But for someone like you who has started in China rather than abroad, went abroad and come back, I think it's、uh, the perspective will be really interesting. So. Uh, before we get going into about Green Apple, perhaps you could give us a little bit of background about your story. Yeah, sure.、Uh, happy to introduce myself.、Sure. Uh, so basically, I was born and raised here, as John told、uh, told you guys.、Uh, so、um, uh, I basically studied pharmacy in college, and then I went to like consulting, you know, boring career track, and then I went to、uh, Boston for my MBA program. And then、uh, after that, I realized that I really want、uh, want to come back to China because that's the market that I'm really familiar with, and also that's the market that I I can create a lot of value.、Uh, and personally, I'm very passionate about healthcare. Um, because I also, you know, studied pharmacy in my college,、uh, so you know, I do want to do something to change or help to improve the healthcare system in China. So that's why I come back.、Uh, so I, you know, I was involved in like pharmaceutical industries, medical device industries, and I have a lot of friends who are like physicians, surgeons in China. Yeah, and then you know, what I'm working on is is healthcare to really improve the quality of healthcare. Right. Yeah. So you gla- you you humbly glazed over one element of your education, and you said you went to did your MBA in Boston, but、yes. I believe it was Harvard, was it not? Yeah, Harvard Business School. So okay, so de- <laughs> not, decent school, not bad.、Right? Yeah, so do, not do, too do, bad. Do your MBA. <laughs> so after you, you and you worked for a little while in the U.S., right? Uh, yeah, just for a summer actually. Yes,、yeah, so、I was doing my internship in Indianapolis,、okay. which I believe a lot of Americans haven't even been to. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fun to spend like the summer over there. You know,、right. met a lot of people and also understand、uh, you know the how the U.S. healthcare system works.、Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, it's very helpful. And you know, a lot of、uh, native Chinese that go to the states for education, oftentimes they'll stay a bit longer to get work experience or because they like the lifestyle or they like the environment, whatever. What made you 
you know, come back so quickly? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, um, I actually struggled a little bit uh, in school. So I, uh, after my MBA program, I had several offers. Uh, you know, one offers, uh, well, two offers is for me to stay in the states to work in the healthcare industry. Um, and then, you know, but I really, you know, reflect a lot on myself. And you know, the moment of truth came uh, during my trip to India. So my professor basically brought up a, a group of HBS people uh, there, and basically we studied the medical tourism industry there. And then I HB, was um, sorry to interrupt. HBS Harvard Business School. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry for. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, our group studied the medical tourism. So we got to basically visit a lot of top hospitals in India. Mm-hmm. And in India, you know, the healthcare system basically uh, there seventy five percent are private hospitals, and it's really like top quality, great, phys- uh, great, uh, great physicians, surgeons, um, you know, from overseas. So I was amazed. Like you know, people say that India is like. 10 years back uh, behind China, mm-hmm. but I think in terms of healthcare, it's actually pretty advanced. Really? So I was like, wow, you know, I should do something uh, because China is really, you know, behind. Yeah. You know, in China, the uh, uh, more than ninety percent of uh, hospitals are still uh, government owned, mm-hmm. and still, so the service is not really, you know, a top consideration yeah. uh, for for the government or for the hospitals. Yeah, so there is a lot to do. Mm-hmm. So it's like I need to come back to really understand the sector. Right. So uh, you know, uh, one offer I got offered me to. To become a, a medical sales rep, basically to sell sell medication to doctors, uh, introduce uh, the product to doctors. Sure. So I figure, you know, this is the frontline experience that I need to really understand the system. Mm-hmm. So that's why I decided to come back. Yeah, yeah. And the interest in working in healthcare. I mean, obviously, you did pharmacy, and then you pursued it at Harvard. What, I mean, was there anything? Was it always something you wanted to be involved in? You, you didn't want to be a doctor, but you wanted to be involved in healthcare in some way. Or how did that whole motivation come about? Yeah, I actually always joking with my doctor friends that like one thing I uh, the only thing that I regret in my life is I didn't become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but then I re- I really love what I'm doing now. Uh, so um, actually, being an entrepreneur or want to be an entrepreneur is always something that in my mind. So I I used to be a entrepreneur. Now I'm a real entrepreneur. Right. I'm really glad I did it. Um, and I do. Uh, I think uh, you know my good friends basically knows that I really, uh, I'm really entrepreneurial, and I really want to you know take action and make things happen or fix things. Yeah. yeah so that's something that I want to do. Right. Yeah. In the healthcare field, that's what the motivation was. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, also, that's also uh, where my background is. Right. Yeah. And also, that's uh, that's the sector that uh, you know need a lot of help. Right. That I can create most value to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I ask because, of course, listening to this show, we have a lot of entrepreneurs. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I mean, you know, a lot of people are still getting their education or their experience or whatever it is that they're doing. But they have that, like, kind of fire inside. They're like, man, I really like to do X in whatever industry. So it's always interesting to hear from people like yourself that not too long ago did make that decision and make th- made that leap and kind of mm-hmm. see what the motivation was and what you really needed. And actually, before we move on from that, that moment, you mentioned you went to India and you saw you know, the, the discrepancy between the medical system there and in China, and that's what brought you back to China. Um, you know, This entrepreneurial fire, I think, like you said, was probably burning for a while. When you came back to China, you didn't 
jump into entrepreneurship immediately, did you? No, not yet, actually. So basically, I uh, yeah, I joined Groupon, a company you know, it's like a very popular a while sure. ago. Uh, so I was running part of the operation there to really learn how to do operation for internet company, mm-hmm. and then I become a sales rep. If I'm a sales rep, to understand uh-huh. the you know the the ground the ground rules for healthcare, yeah. and then I joined a medical device company, basically to understand the mentality of surgeons. So I was basically preparing myself along the way. Yeah, I won't be prepared actually right out, out of uh, MBA program. Right. Yeah, and then, you know, at that time I do not really have a specific idea, you know, that's something that I want to do. Right. Yeah, it actually takes uh, some time to cook the idea sure. for me to, you know, really personally believe in it and then go for it. So was this a planned approach for you? Like, you know, you, you, you came out of school and you saw the way things were in the world and in China specifically, and you, you, you know, you had an inkling, you had a not a solid idea yet, but you knew what direction you wanted to go. But you thought, I need to build my knowledge base. I need to build my build my experience. So I, I'm going to join different companies within the field that I'm interested in and get my. Was that was that like planned? Yeah, it's kind of planned. I think so. During my MBA program, uh, you know, the two years that I was in Boston, uh, I got uh, familiar with the digital health space in US, mm-hmm. and then I got very excited about it because I thought, you know, uh, leveraging the existing mature TMT technology to help the uh, to help transform the healthcare industry is something something really uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's already happening. It was already happening in the U.S. when I was there, right. 09 to 11. Yeah, yeah so I, I started to explore opportunities uh, for China. Yeah, it's, it, the, the whole digital health and, and mobile health industries is so amazing. I mean, I think it's definitely one of those industries that's super ripe right now for disruptive changes because, you know, first of all, it's one that has a lot of uh, problems with it, you know, whether it's exclusivity, it's prohibitively expensive, it's, you know, there's not enough uh, of the right services, there's too many people, all these different things. And it's, it feels like an industry that technology is just now beginning to kind of innovate. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing all, you know, whether it's Apple's new health platform that we'll see how that turns out and companies like yours that are getting involved that I, I feel like in 10 years, the, the medical and healthcare space, like the way that we all receive healthcare will be totally different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, actually, for the investment world, uh, it's super hot uh, right. in the last two years. Yeah. So there is an organization in Silicon Valley called Rock Health, which mm-hmm. is started by one of my classmates oh, at really? HBS. Yeah. yeah. So, oh. yeah, she is the founder. And then, you know, uh, basically, they have all the they, they are tracking all the digital health data or deals going on in in, in US. Yeah. yeah. So this year, you know, the investment amount goes up to 160 wow. percent, which is like crazy. And in China, actually, in the last uh, several weeks, you know, uh, mobile health, digital health has been on the headline of major, major, you know, uh, media. Yeah. So last week, uh, Tencent, the biggest internet company, uh, invested uh, about 70 million US dollar uh, in a a company who is doing online doctor community. Yeah. And a while ago, probably like last month, um, you know, a a VC, a venture capital firm invested uh, uh, 50 million uh, US dollar in in a company who is doing like uh, doctor, patient, community. Right. Yeah, so we're kind of in that category, but it's super hot now. Yeah, there's, I mean, and, but there's so, there's so many different ways that, uh, you know, uh, things can be changed with the healthcare system. So there's, it seems like there's room for a lot of different companies to bring their services to bear, mm-hmm. and especially in China, and I'm, I'm sure you know this more than anybody, but with 1.3 billion people and, you know, over the last 20 years, lifestyles and diet changing dramatically, not always for the better in, in terms of diet, uh, 
you know, healthcare in China is going to be in a very short period of time, probably one of the biggest industries in the world or the, you know, the biggest healthcare industry in the world because there's just so many people and there's going to be so many issues and figuring out how to organize, structure and service those people is going to be you know, a very big task. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, in China, people basically are betting on two things. One is healthcare, one is education. So people are like super willing to pay for these two things. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm in one of the, you know, super hot area, I guess. For sure. Yeah. And really wanted to create value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what you're doing in this, uh, this area. So Green Apple, Mm -hmm. why don't you uh, tell us uh, a little bit about it, what it does, who you do it for, and then give us a little bit of the status of the company. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Uh, So basically, uh, our product is very simple. Our product is two apps. One app is for doctor to use, and the other app is for patients. So basically, when patient and doctor are using the app, they can get connected directly and talk to each other. So patient can send send messages to doctors, or patient can schedule a phone call with a doctor to ask questions and do consultation. So basically, what we are doing is really like in, uh, to find a way to empower doctors and empower patients. So currently, uh, basically, most of the doctors work for pu- public hospitals. So they're like public servant. So their salary is pretty low. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they have to work in one hospital to get a, a, they have to get a license to practice in one hospital. They are not they are not free. So they don't really have a lot of choice. And they have to follow, you know, the strict rules for that hospital. And for the patient, basically, you know, you can imagine it's a, you you know, China is a massive country and a, a lot of sick people. Uh, so, you know, everyone wants to go to the best hospitals. So you basically have to wait in line with other sick people, you know, normally for two to three hours. And a doctor only give you like two, three minutes and then, you know, give you a pretty bad attitude it's and they write you a prescription. It, it's right? wild. I got to comment on that because I've experienced <laughs> having lived in China, I've experienced that. And the last time I was in the doctor's office, like you said, there was hundreds of other people there and we had to wait. And I finally got in mm-hmm. and... I was chatting with the doctor for, like you said, less than two or three minutes. And somebody just opened the door and was yeah. like, is it my turn No yet? privacy. Is it my turn yet? And the doctor was like, no, 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 not yet. And they closed the door. And a minute later, they opened the door again. Are you ready? Yeah. And I'm like, it blew my mind because obviously in the West, that would never happen. I mean, yeah. that's just totally different. But here, everyone's just clamoring to get in. And like you said, the doctor doesn't have much time. Um, so yeah, sorry to interrupt, but it, yeah. it, it is a problem here. So it's interesting. Yeah, that exactly. Something that helps. Yeah, I'm glad that a foreigner also resonate with this uh, situation. Sure, yeah. yeah, because this is happening like every day. Yeah. yeah. So if you have, if you're just walking into a hospital and then you will feel like, wow, this is a miserable experience yeah. for for anyone, yeah. right? So that's why you know uh, we think it's important to have a tool basically for the patient to contact the doctor directly. And if it's not necessary for the patient to go to the hospital, then you can just ask the doctor doctor on your cell phone right. unless it's it's really necessary then you go to you know checking the hospital and see the doctor right because yeah. because i found also i mean this is true all over the world but a lot of people go to the hospital for really information rather than emergency like i need treatment for something right now it's yeah. like oh i have a bit of a headache i might as well i have the time i'll go to the doctor and as a result you get massive massive cues there yeah exactly uh, i mean it's uh, as you mentioned like oh you know actually people go to hospitals for very different reasons i mean in u.s probably people go to hospital only to you know treat their disease right so for china you know those old people probably just go to somewhere have air conditioning <laughs> oh they just want to have a chat with the doctors like, oh doctor i miss you i wanted to check in blah 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 
Yeah. Oh, and a lot of people, like probably, but probably half of the patients are just going there for uh, medication refill, right. which doesn't create any, any value for the hospital. But you know, the hospitals have to do it, uh, deal with it, and yeah. the doctor have to deal with the patients who are do only doing refill. Right. So there is a lot of inefficiency in the system mm-hmm. that we can help. Right. So the so Green Apple is is basically trying to bring more efficiency to this overworked, overloaded system. Yeah. So when the how do you pair the patients with the different doctors? Do they have to have an initial consultation in person first, and then they go on on that basis? Or how exactly. Does it work? Yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, our positioning is you know uh, when the patient wants to find a doctor, the uh, basically the patient already went to see the doctor before in the hospital, so the patient kind of know the doctor. Mm. Uh, so um, and then basically to make sure that you know when the patient asks a question, this doctor know exactly what the patient is talking about and can help the patient. Right. Yeah, it's not just like random walking right. and it's like, oh, you know, doc, I have a headache, I have I have a stomach. Then, you know, those t- top physicians are not interested to answer basic questions. Right. Yeah, but currently, you know, for the hospitals, doctors have no control of the inflow of patients. Basically, anyone can talk to them and it's a waste of their time. Right. So how, you know, once once they've had the initial consultation with the doctor and they, they leave, is is there a, a transaction anywhere along the line? Like, mm-hmm. does the patient pay to ask per question or per month, or how does it work? Yeah, so currently, uh, sending messages is all free for patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if the patient wants to talk to the doctor on the phone, uh, basically, we charge uh, 99 RMB per 10 minute. So the patient needs to pay for it to buy the time for the doc- from the doctor. 99 RMB for 10 minutes. Yeah. That's actually okay. So, um, you know, for uh, for example, if yeah, uh, a yeah, patient, no, I, I think was, it's re- very reasonable. Yeah, it's very reasonable, <laughs> right? But well, I mean, but but then you know the the uh, how to say the healthcare bill in China is very low, sure, right? For yeah. a local people, like if a Shanghainese want to see a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, Shanghainese want um, uh, need only to um, only need to pay like fourteen kwai. 14 RMB. Right, right. Yeah, but for uh, someone live outside of Shanghai, including all the travel, you know, expenses or the accommodation, then, you know, 99 RMB is very cheap. For sure. And also they can have like direct contact with the doctor and ask questions because if they go to the hospital, there is a chance that, you know, the doctor is not in the hospital today, right. is not on duty, so that, uh, you know, the patient need to see another doctor and explain everything all over again. Yeah. And how does this impact how the doctors spend their time? You know, like, does it is it something they do, after, you know, outside of their typical working hours? Or do they take an hour in between each hour? Or have you noticed how it's been changing the schedules of, of doctors? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we actually, uh, uh, you know, check the, the back-end data. Mm-hmm. And then we see, you know, the user pattern for the doctors uh, have two peaks, right? One peak is basically uh, before they start work. So 6 uh, a.m. to 7 a.m. or uh, probably 8 a.m., so like early morning. And then the second peak is after work, uh, probably like 5, 6 uh, p.m. And then, you know, the, the small peak is uh, before before sleep. So basically we see like doctors are talking and replying patients all the time when they have time. Right. Yeah. Okay. So – and how long has this been operational for, Green Apple? Well, we I started a company uh, one year ago, last August, yep. and then we started uh, to operate the app this March. Oh, wow. Yeah. So relatively recently. Relatively recently, but very fast progress. Really? Yeah. Good. So can I ask how many users you have, I guess, combined, doctors and... and uh, about several hundred thousand now. Really? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's going. It's going well. I mean, this is the the sector is really hot. Sure. Well, yeah. before we we started recording this show, we, we were talking about um, 
how technology is integrated in China. And it's something we've talked about on the show a million times, but it, it always bears repeating because it's so fascinating. And I think in China, it's almost like, you know, people skip the stage where they had cell phones and laptops and all that kind of stuff, and they went directly to mobile smart devices. And as a result, the way that they integrate different services that come on those platforms is different. You know, it's just it's more seamless. In the in the West, I feel, and of course, there's exceptions everywhere. You know, in San Francisco, it's better than Arkansas or whatever. But in general, you know, these new services are offered, and it it, it seems to take a lot more slugging and time to get people to trust the service, to engage in the service, to be consistent with the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in China, whether it's a, an app like Green Apple or it's you know, uh, banking done by WeChat or Alibaba. It's like it's launched and, you know, if, if the product is good, of course, that's it always has to be. But if, it, you know, overnight or over several months, just like is happening with you, there could be hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions or even hundreds of millions of people using them. Yeah, exactly. Which is what's so compelling about what's going on here. Yeah, as you mentioned, actually, it's amazing that, you know, one of our competitor, or we consider as a competitor, uh, they're very PC-focused. So their product is a website. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, uh, they spent uh, the last 10 years building up a user base. Uh, so basically, we spent only several months and then did what they did for f- five years. Mm. So, you know, the power of mobile or the power of social network is really, like, super powerful here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of stings for them. But, yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> And I mean, because I think everyone is more and more, I mean, you probably know the stats more than me, but it's, it's something like 60-40 or 50-50, depending on the demographic. But I think it's very clear to everybody that it's moving entirely towards mobile. And as, yeah. as, the, and as, as the mobile devices become more sophisticated and the user interaction it becomes better, you know, I think the reasons for using a PC or, or, or something like that is they're diminishing. Yeah, exactly. You know? And some people say like, you know, for some Chinese people, especially uh, people in a rural area, the first device that they uh, they can browse a website is their cell phone. Right. It's not a the laptop sure. or not a desktop. Well, there's a big price differential there as well. So, you know, their their phone services a number of different needs whereas buying a laptop is relatively low on the on the scale. Mm-hmm. Um so that's, I mean, the Green Apple sounds like a, a great service. I love it, you know, when I was doing some research for the show. I love it when services are super, and this is not a, a negative thing, I love it when they're super simple, you know. The, the concept is easy to grasp. The need is easy to identify, and it's there. And the way to, to uh, interact with it is very clear. So what are you doing? You're, you're having a, a personal one-to-one relationship with your doctor via a mobile device speaking or via text. Mm -hmm. That's it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a powerful service because, like you said, you know, a lot of times it might take a trip to a a certain hospital and there's costs there, a lot of time involved. Whereas if you could use a service like Green Apples, then it's almost like your doctor is one of your other friends. You're going to be on WeChat. You're going to be sending messages anyways. Mm -hmm. So if you happen to have something that you need that's medically related, yeah. You know, you can you can have that direct line to a professional. Exactly. Which yeah. Is a very powerful I mean, proposition. in China, physicians is, uh, is it's almost impossible for uh, doctors to give their per- uh, personal cell phone number to patients mm-hmm. because there's so many of them. Yeah. yeah. So they are actually really appreciate the existence of the app yeah. so that they can actually have a tool for them to manage their patients and uh, communicate with the patients. And in China, obviously, there's still a huge legacy of traditional Chinese medicine. Um, 
and Western medicine is becoming more popular and it's being taught in the schools and certainly there's international clinics you know all over the place now but TCM is still widely available mm-hmm. is your app geared towards primarily one or the other or is it does it not distinguish and is beneficial to both yeah there's a, no difference at all mm-hmm. i mean we're solving the problem uh we're solving the communication problem yeah. so either this is a, ch- a chinese uh, medicine doctor or it's like a surgeon or whatever they uh they still need to talk to their patients and th- the patients needs to contact them right yeah cool. so it's the exact same need right yeah. so you, you launched in march now you've got several hundred thousand users you just told me some exciting news that happened last month yes can you share it with our listeners? Sure, yeah, happy to. Uh, so we actually basically just closed our Series A funding, uh, which is uh, a major milestone for us. And also, uh, basically, uh, you know, we, we, we successfully convinced the market that we are doing something valuable and we, are, we have the capability to, to execute that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now we're in a crazy expansion uh, period now. Right, you mentioned yeah. you had to hire... How many people last week? Well, last week uh, we have uh, six new people on board, and next week probably another ten. So it's gonna, you know, uh, be like on double like your this, staff, right? yeah, in, like in, this for a while. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll, ha- I'll have to have you back on the show in a few months, and you can tell me how you actually integrated all those things because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they they get their idea, they get their initial team going, they get some funding, and they, you know, they're trying to push through their service and get their users and work out their business model, and I. And I think that's where most of the discussion is in in podcasts like this and when you're meeting with people. But I don't hear as many discussions about, oh, shit, I've become successful or or things are going (laughs) in the right direction. Yeah. And now I have to manage success, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's a big, you know, there are books written about it and a lot of people do talk about it. But uh, I'm intrigued by it. So I, once once you have some experience with that, I'd love yeah. to have you back on and we can we can go through it. Yeah, actually, um, when I look back to my career track, I kind of did the, the reverse, right? So I start from like, uh, you know, strategy, consulting, and then I did, you know, corporate uh, business development. And then I did, uh, so basically, uh, you know, my experience at Groupon. So uh, that's like the time that Groupon was doing crazy expansion in China. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what to do like to help a company you know to grow like significantly right. yeah so i kind of know that in, in my mind so that's that's what i'm doing now yeah yeah so for my startup uh, for green apple basically this is like something that i built from scratch like i have no idea what it is and then we built it slowly we tested the idea we tested you know the demand from the users and then we finally launch it and then we we basically just see the feedback uh from our users and right. now here we are yeah we're we're ready to expand about a year later, right? Yeah, about a year. That's, that's yeah. incredible. I mean, that's that's quite quickly for startups in general. You yeah. Know, to have your Series A closed and to be on that hiring track within a year of starting the business, that's that's pretty rapid. Yeah, we wish it, uh, we could be faster, though. <laughs> I mean, internet <laughs> Spoken is Spoken like a crazy. true entrepreneur is always yeah. the case. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that that's a great story. And, and like I said, you'll have to come back on when, when you have even more experience with your own company, bringing those people on and integrating them. Because the talent hunt in China, from what I understand from people I've spoken to, is getting more and more challenging. Oh, definitely. To get the right people and then to integrate them and then to keep them. Because we know how transient you know, people in the Chinese job market can be, especially if they, especially if they have a specialized uh, set of skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hiring has been a challenge so far. I wish I could bring like 60 people last week on board, but I only managed to get six of them. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's really like I, I need more people to basically help to expand the business. Right. Yeah. Um, so I want to, you know, the, now that we have an understanding of Green Apple and how things are, you know, moving ahead super fast, I want to get a little bit into the personal side of things, if you don't mind. Um, sure. But, you know, a lot of people listening uh, to this uh, program and a lot of people that are budding entrepreneurs, like you said earlier, they're entrepreneurs, maybe they're thinking about it. And even those that are, are already entrepreneurs, you know, I think they would look to your story um, and aspire to have something similar. You know, you've, you've, you seem to take it step by step and you learned what you need to learn and now you're implementing that. Mm-hmm. How in a city like Shanghai and in an industry like, a, you know, the startup and healthcare industry where the competition is not only there's a lot of competition, but it's very rapid. Things change so quickly you know, tomorrow another app could be launched and all the users could migrate there. How do you maintain balance in that scenario? Yeah, well, I think it all uh, goes back to what I want to do with my life. Uh, I think that's uh, really Harvard, what Harvard Business School told me, and it's a, a transformational experience. I think, you know, I spent two years uh, in, in Boston, and then I really, like, had a, a deep uh, self-reflection, what mm-hmm. I wanted to do with my life. So uh, my life has to have a purpose, right. and the purpose now I'm working on, or the cause that I'm working on now, is to really, you know, using the startup opportunity to empower doctors and empower patients in China. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, once I start to believe, or once I really believe in this, you know, what's going on in the market or competition is just something pretty superficial. Right. I mean, people come and go, that's very normal. I mean, uh, for the uh, same for the group buying thing, right? When I joined Groupon um, uh, in China, there was like 6,000 competitors in the market, and most of them basically just want to make quick money. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, they, they are not really thinking about anything like creating value, mm-hmm. what they want to do what you know longer term yeah so i mean for us you know uh, what uh, really stick the whole team together is you know they do know that what we are up for what we what we are doing right. we're not just doing an app the app you know the, today is an app tomorrow it can be something different yeah yeah but you know the, the product is just a, a form of like how we deliver the value to the society right yeah and this is you know like you said this was kind of you came to this conclusion through a lot of self-reflection and, 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 and time thinking about it. And this is what, I guess, guides you to keep on a positive mindset and keep pushing forward on the rainy, cold you know, days when everything seems to be going wrong. Mm-hmm. How do you communicate that to staff? Because I think in all startups, you almost, you're not in a position yet to pay huge salaries and uh, all the different things that some of the larger companies can offer. So I think a lot of startups, they try to place an emphasis and sometimes uh, have challenges with getting staff to kind of embody the same principles, philosophies, and motivations for the work that they're doing. So mm-hmm. for the staff that you have and for all the staff that you're going to have soon, mm-hmm. is there anything in particular you do to kind of bring them fully on board with your uh, with the mission and with the the philosophy behind what you're doing, yeah, I think uh, basically it's like every little details, right? Starting from like recru- interviewing, recruiting, basically make, making sure that they know what we're uh, doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, I interviewed all the staff uh, for now. Like every staff, I basically talk to them and uh, you know uh, decide you know they they are rec- uh, they are hired hired or not, right? Uh, and then you know there is a lot of decisions to be made every day. For example, uh, you know when we discuss product. Uh, 
basically, I just ask you know the product team like guys, let's uh, step back and you know to basically think what we're really uh, really about, right? So if we are creating you know new features for the doctors, I basically ask them, can this feature deliver the value to empower doctors? So basically, like bring them back. Every time they are doing something in execution, mm-hmm. yeah, and then you know over time they basically realize, oh, you know, they can actually uh, uh, make judgment on their own because that's something that I really care about. Right. Yeah, I don't care about like uh, what exactly the product feature looks like, but if this feature actually delivers the value or help the doctor to empower, be in power, mm-hmm. then we will go for it. Right. Yeah. So and it's like every little detail counts. And that's a perfect segue to another question and thing that uh, I grapple with constantly. I think a lot of people do in various uh, forms and intensities, certainly in the entrepreneurial space. It's, and I think, like you, you were just beginning to say, it has a lot to do with the conviction and the clarity of your, your mission, you know, of what you're trying to accomplish, change, you know, what your ultimate, ultimate service is. But uncertainty is a thing that I think in such a fast-moving landscape can cripple some people because, you know, you, you, you worry that you'll zig when you should have zagged or you went down that road when you should have went down that road. And mm-hmm. with limited resources, you don't have that many opportunities to make too many mistakes, especially, you know, if, they, if they're costing a lot of uh, time, money, resources, whatever. Mm-hmm. So do you have any way that you, you know, keep the compass in the right direction and, you know, kind of put the blinders on so uncertainty doesn't cripple you or the organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically I think there are two things, right? So the vision or the mission uh, will never change. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there is no base to for the company no to exist, yeah. right? Yeah. There is no company. So this will never change. And then, you know, for the uncertainty, it's really the market, you know, the, the, you know, the, user, uh, the user demand or something. So basically what I can make sure is every decision, uh, you know, for the user is made based on the user feedback. Right. So we, we actually, we're highly analytical. Mm-hmm. We look at a lot of uh, we look at a lot of data, and then basically let the data tell us. We don't just you know make a decision up in the air. It's mm-hmm. like oh you know doc- uh, doctor should want this, this doctor should right. want Let's yeah. It, try, it yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. So every decision we uh, we actually you know the management team all look at the data. It's like okay, we launched this feature. How many users? Uh, how many doctors use it? And uh, how are they using it? Right. Why they're not active? Why they're not going you know uh, using the the way that we want them to use right? Mm-hmm. And then you know I basically bring my CTO to interview doctors, interview patients all the time right. because, you know, doctor uh, user feedback is critical for us to really, you know, we, uh, we can make sure that, you know, we create something that they want, yeah. not we want, sure. because what we want doesn't, doesn't matter. So as they say, keep the focus on the problem and then get all the feedback you can constantly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it just, it just reminded me of something I meant to ask. What is, do you find it's, harder to get doctors on the platform than the patients? Because, of course, the patients are the ones that want to communicate with the doctors, and doctors maybe have less incentive to do so. Mm -hmm. So is it a bigger part of the sales process or a bigger part of the feedback to try to how do you tailor this to get more and more doctors online? Yeah, exactly. So our model is more kind of like a B2B to C, right? Right. So uh, doctor is the the small business side, and C is the consumer side. Uh, So for the patients, we're not really worrying about it. We thought, like, uh, you know, for social marketing our marketing campaign will get a lot of patients. So that's fine. So actually, I allocate most of my resource to attract doctors. So my whole sales force is basically recruiting doctors every day. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of how I organize the business. And are they doing that uh, primarily in Shanghai or is this going 
all over China at the moment. Yeah, so currently we are only in Shanghai and we are only targeting at the top, top hospitals right. and top physicians. Um, and then, you know, in the next month or two, we're expanding uh, nationally. Wow. That's why I'm hiring why I'm crazy. So many people. <laughs> yeah, God, that's a daunting, uh, daunting thing looming on the horizon. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Exciting though. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, so, you know, again, I want to bring it back to the personal level. So we, we uh, so many people, entrepreneurs, or whether you're just you know you're not an entrepreneur and you're working in a company, everyone's trying, or most people are trying to you know, push forward, make themselves better, advance their career, whatever it might be. I think as a startup entrepreneur, it's even more uh, magnified, you know, because, again, like we've been saying, things move so quickly. There's so much competition. Do you have any rituals, routines, anything like that in your personal life that you you make sure you do to to ensure that you show up to work, you know, with the right mindset or with the right energy level. Like, is there anything that you can share with other people listening out there? It's like, this helps me succeed. Uh, well, I mean, for me, because I'm so passionate about what I'm doing, I, I'm the founder, right? So mm-hmm. I have, I'm like the the core of the culture. You're so that, that founder I'm, fuel, you yeah. Don't need any, no, 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 not even any food. You're just on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too worried about that. But personally, I do a lot of yoga, and I think that's on the yoga mat. That's something that I uh, basically bring to myself, and that's like sometimes that I belong to myself, right? Mm-hmm. And then I can do a lot of self reflection while I'm trying really hard physically. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like a break that from you know the the, the busy work. Sure. Yeah. I find yoga is like a like a meditation in, in motion. So it's not as hard to clear your mind because you're focusing on where your hands and feet are and getting into the stretch. But I could certainly see it from a perspective of someone like you whose mind is constantly grappling with you know this has to be done, this has to be done. Yeah. And giving you a chance to kind of level out. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, for me, I really love you know to basically empower my staff. So mm-hmm. um, basically, my go to every of my direct reports is uh, you know your goal is to do uh, this better than me. That's your goal. Right. It's like okay, I can take your responsibility, but you know you are the one who can really figure it out because I'm not the best person to do it. You you are. Right. So you tell me what to do. Yeah. So that's basically, right. it's a very they're humble really approach to empowering your employees. And, and but that's the only way that I can basically build something big because sure. uh, you know individually, I just have very limited you know influence. Yeah. Right. So I have you to can't rely only on your genius and yeah, skills. Yeah. Exactly. How along the same lines, how do you balance? Um, you know, your work life with the social life that I'm sure you have in some form. I mean, does it ever, do you ever have to consciously manage that or is it more, you know, it's easier for you to to balance both? Uh, For me, it's pretty natural, actually. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, before I used to, I mean, I work for big companies. I, you know, I hang out people a lot in the entrepreneur uh, community and also uh, healthcare community. Yeah. So I I feel like it's pretty natural for me. I don't need to like make time like, oh, I have to do this social. I have to do that social. I think, yeah, it's all like coming together. Cool. Yeah. I think that a lot of a lot of the how you perceive the difference there is again like you said how passionate you are about what you're doing because if you're at an event that is loosely related to what you're doing you could probably see it as social and professional and not really have to distinguish between one or the other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for today, you know, this podcast, I don't know if it's working all like social. Yeah, if people <laughs> well, are not. you say that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, uh, if people are not interested in, you know, the company, I can share more about my experience and basically to uh, help to inspire people right. uh, to basically uh, empower them to pick what they really wanted to do with their life. Yeah. Or if people are very interested in my business, then I tell more about my business. Yeah. So it's, it's all together. <laughs> Fantastic segue into the last couple of questions. So, 
speaking of empowering people and giving them some advice, um, just a couple more questions. One is, are there any books, podcasts, or anything that you can recommend that you found inspirational, that were impactful, that were useful for you, that you can recommend to uh, people listening? Uh, well, I really like TED, TED. Sure. Yeah, I listen to a lot of uh, talks, uh, you know, um, on the TED. So I think, uh, you know, basically based on uh, people's interest um, or preference, you can pick. Uh, but I, I mean, for me, you know, those like uh, uh, sharing from successful people, entrepreneurs, mm. or, you know, those inspiring videos, or even those like uh, pretty... Silly, like modern or whatever things, I think are very inspiring for me. Sure. Yeah, because that's not part of my life. It's very different. Yeah, yeah so I really love that. Um, and um, yeah, I actually just did a talk in SEEPS, uh, which is a top MBA program in China. And one uh, one thing that I share with them is uh, uh, is basically a, a lesson uh, taught by one of my professors at Harvard Business School. Basically, he said, uh, "You always ha- you have the luxury to quit." If you are no longer passionate about what you are doing, mm-hmm. and this has been inspiring me, you know, for you know, uh, ever since actually, yeah. So I always like uh, check on myself, like, oh, th- is this what I want to do with my life? Yeah. It is. Then I have to, you know, be pursuing it further. If not, then I need to quit and you know, do something I want. Right. Yeah. So I, I figure like the audience are really inspired by that. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I, and I think unless you have a really strong motivation and passion for what you're doing, that question is increasingly hard to answer. Because you're like, oh, am I doing it for the money? I haven't been making that money or the status or because startups are sexy. But I think when you're coming from it from the perspective like you are where it's something that you're just so passionate about, that question probably doesn't come up too often. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, but when I was working for big companies or when I, uh, you know, did not know what exactly I, I would be working on, you know, I have to think. Comes up a lot yeah, more. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Sure, sure. Yeah. I think we've all experienced experience that to some degree. Yeah. Um, advice to your 20-year-old self. Would you change anything, you know, where you are now? Obviously, things are looking pretty good, but would you do anything different? If you had a phone call, you could call your 20-year-old self and be like, hey, Jennifer, um, do this or don't do this. Is there anything you'd say? Well, I would prefer to start my company uh, uh, much earlier. Right. Yeah, probably in my 20s. Yeah, or, you know, uh, right after college. Or I even wanted to, you know, I, I would l- love to see myself start a company in college. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, but I, I thought, like, I just got exposed to, like, so much opportunity when I uh, when I was in uh, in America. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, wow, people are doing so cool, like, crazy things and cool things uh, uh, during college. But in China, basically, the education system is pretty boring and rigid. Mm-hmm. So you have basically have to remember a lot of things and, you know, pass tests. So I, I, I don't think you know the education college education in china is that uh, inspiring for people mm-hmm. and most people are still looking for a high paid job that's kind of like the end goal for college education yeah, yeah. so yeah. i wish i got you know inspired er- much earlier sure. or i wish i could have a you know helpful mentor <laughs> well, what would you say to yourself if you were 20 if you had a phone call to you 20 would you say don't go for the stable job you know find a, find someone to be a founder or just get started? Because I mean, I know it's a paradox because you, you obviously, who knows where you would have landed had you changed your course and done something differently. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll call myself and say, oh, Jennifer, go uh, travel around the world okay. and you will see the big world and then, you know, maybe your life will be different. Right. Okay. I like that. <laughs> um, and the final question I ask everybody here, 
as we've as we've been saying, a lot of people listening to the show are entrepreneurs. They're interested in doing it, or maybe they are entrepreneurs. And interesting, you know, as you just said, a lot of times people have that fire in them very young, but a lot of those same people are sometimes met with failure because perhaps they didn't have that worldly professional experience that that you got over the years prior to doing your startup. Um, So what would you give as three pieces of advice, not to yourself, but to the people listening uh, to help them on their way to make, you know, to make their road more easy, shall we say, to, you know, to Mm -hmm. inspire them, to help them. Could be technical advice or it could be, you know, philosophical in nature, whatever you like. Uh, Yeah, I think I will make it two, actually. So one is uh, basically really uh, think hard about what you want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. I think that's the question you have, uh, everyone needs to answer before you actually, you know, spend time on anything. Um, Once you know that, then everything becomes... um, you know, tactical. So if, uh, you know, basically have analysis on yourself and see like what you're lacking of. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, within a short period of time, you can get that skill, go grab it. If you cannot find someone who can do it and then, you know, th- then uh, you can, you, you can put all the pieces together and then that basically significantly improve the uh, possibility for you to succeed. Right. Yeah. But I think uh, end of the day, it's really something that you want to do is going to inspire or put people together mm-hmm. to make it, uh, make it happen. Right. Yeah. And what's the second piece? That's the second. Yeah. So first is know what you want to do. Second is basically you uh, need to make sure that all the tactics or all the skills are uh, you know putting together as a complete piece. So you kind of plan things out properly. Yeah. Exactly. Give give me give me a third one. I know you got it in you. Wow. Third piece of advice. It could, <laughs> be, it could be anything. Yeah, having Get your vitamins, uh, yeah. do yoga, whatever. No, like have fun along the way. Have definitely. Fun. Yeah, sure. I think people can tell like you are struggling or you are having fun. Right. If you are having fun, actually, people people will be uh, you know uh, basically people will think that's a char- that's very charming, yeah. and they think oh you are doing something. They want to work with you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you will like naturally you will attract a lot of people. I think that's a great point, and it's very yeah. important. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I pushed you for the third one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Jennifer, that's that's. The the end of the show. Thank you very much for, for coming on and discussing uh, all these things with us today. Yeah, um, glad to be here. Where can people uh, check out Green Apple or get a hold of you if, if that's something you want to put out there? Twitter, WeChat, Facebook, anything. Where can people uh, learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, but, uh, so it's China. Let me think. The best way probably is email. Uh, so uh, my email is uh, Jennifer, mm-hmm. J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, at kangkanghui.com. Mm-hmm. So Hui is K-A-N-G-K-A-N-G-H-U-I.com. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, well, uh, yeah, welcome to shoot me a line. Are you guys hiring uh, Chinese workers exclusively or... No, we're very open. I mean, yeah. my designer is uh, is American citizen. Right. Yeah, she and she doesn't really speak uh, Mandarin, <laughs> so it's all fine. Yeah, we're pretty international, actually. All right. So anybody out there who's who's loved the conversation today and wants to work with an inspired person like Jennifer, maybe reach out to her. Uh, she's going to go on a hiring binge over the next couple of months. So. Yeah, we're definitely hiring. So please contact me. Cool. And guys, we are Tech in Shanghai. You can find us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai. Uh, or email us, uh, connect at techinshanghai.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.